Uh, good morning, friends. How are you? I hope that you're enjoying this retreat as much as I am. This morning was so good, wasn't it? It was so good. I am so honored to share with you all this morning, truly. Um, I'm actually excited about it. This topic is a dear one to me. And what I love is that you all are dear to me as well. And I hope it's not weird to say, but your marriages are dear to me. I've really been doing battle on my knees for your marriages and for mine. And I feel like it's needed. Um, honestly, one of my goals for this message is that the Lord would spur us on to love our individual husbands better and to the glory of God, but that he'd help us do that together, that we'd be able to do it as sisters in Christ, that someday, 5, 10, 15 years from now, I hope we're all together, and that we'd be able to look around and say, I loved my husband better because of the spirit-born, willing to get messy, sometimes fierce encouragement from the sisters that he placed around me. So would you pray with me for that? as we begin. Father, I do, I just pray that you would do this. We need you. You're the only one that can do this. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace as wives and as sisters in Christ to apply your word, to love our husbands well to your glory, that you would help us to create a community that encourages one another, to help us to have a picture that would ultimately be shown through our marriages, be one of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, your glory. Father, would you be with us? Would you use my weak words to accomplish your purposes? In your name, amen. Amen. Well, as Joel mentioned, we are uh, just finished celebrating 19 years of marriage, and I look around and I'm realizing some of you have been at this a lot longer than we have. But looking ahead at 20 years feels like a big deal to us. And uh, along the way, we've been to a few marriage retreats, not a ton, but one that still lives on in infamy in our household was called Intoxicating Love. Anybody else go to that one? Okay, I feel like there's a few people that went to that one. Okay, so my experience of Intoxicating Love was that we'd only been married a few years at that point. It was up at Hershey Lodge, I think in like late February. Paul Tripp was the main speaker. Our friends were gonna be there. We had a babysitter. And after what the first couple years of marriage had been like for us, I was really excited. We had had cancer, and we'd had chemo, and we'd had a lot of ministry. We'd had a couple babies. We'd had a ton of moves. We were ready for this retreat. Um, all of the ingredients were there to make it a really good time, but the only problem was we brought ourselves <laughs> to this retreat. And on the way to the conference, we had one of the largest conflicts we've ever had in our short years of marriage. Um, so much so when we got there, we pulled up, we sat in the parking lot for a little while trying to resolve the conflict between each other. I cried. I do not cry well. If any of you know me, usually a day and a half later, you can tell that I cried. And so I was not only trying to resolve the conflict, but I was like trying to make myself look marriage retreatable again. And finally, we had to waddle, because I forgot to say I was also eight months pregnant, waddle into this retreat and hope that it was a good time. And honestly, I don't really remember much about that retreat. I mean, obviously it was Paul Tripp. I'm sure that the messages were wonderful. Uh, the setting was lovely. But what I really remember most is that Joel and I spent all the in-between moments working through our conflict. Um, in the room, at meals, in between the sessions, we were just not unified and we were trying to get to a place of unification. We really just wanted to put it away and be like, this is our weekend, let's enjoy it. But the whole point of the weekend was to sow into our marriage and so we did. We asked questions. We pursued humility. We asked the Lord to help us to love one another well. 
we laid down some of our preferences and we listened to one another's needs and perspectives. And in the end, it really was what Joel and I like to call the good stuff, but usually the good stuff doesn't feel good in the moment. Um, it was not one of our favorite weekends that we've ever had. But we look back and we're like, it sewed into the goodness that we are experiencing in marriage. And so we're grateful for it. Um, and that's kind of what I want to speak to today. I was asked to speak about gospel pursuit of our husbands. And like I said, Joel and I have been married for 19 years now. And I got to say, I love that man. <laughs> we have been through some stuff together. And I'm sure you can say that about your own husbands. Um, God has been so very gracious in the way he's met us. We've seen the very best, and we've seen the worst of each other. But I know I don't need to tell you this, but sometimes I think it's a lie that we can believe. But sweetness in marriage doesn't just happen. We don't just have magic fairy dust that sprinkles on some couples and doesn't sprinkle on others. Every marriage takes work. Marriage takes pursuit. And over the years, I've gathered nuggets about what it looks like to pursue my husband. Practical things like never stop studying to really know your spouse, or have a weekly date night, or update your understanding of your spouse based on his growth in Christ. Don't keep him from growing just because you remember his past. So good. Or keep short accounts. Or a list of really helpful questions to keep tabs on how each other is doing at loving and communicating with one another. One of my favorite ones, just step over the laundry, Ashley, and head to the bedroom. <laughs> I don't know why, but in the little years, I needed that one. And so all these practical things really served me. But have you ever noticed how a list of really good things that we can affirm as probably being the very best way that we can become a better athlete or lose the pounds we want to or keep our house organized or help us to become a better mom or even, yes, a better wife, Sometimes they just sit there condemning us. They collect cobwebs on our to-do list. Or we start out real strong to develop the habit, and then gosh darn it, the kid stops sleeping. Or the job description changes, or we get sick, or we wake up one day and we're just plain out exhausted. Or we feel a little defeated, maybe confused. So the question I really want to ask this morning is how on earth do we take our sweet notes from a sweet weekend away, with all of the amens and yes lords of our hearts, and put it into practice for the long haul. And not only for the long haul, but in the midst of season upon season of change, bodies that change, kids' ages and needs that change, jobs that change, hormones that change, <laughs> in the midst of adversity and busyness and broken appliances and pressures and temptations and the loud lies of the world all around us, and a little thing called our own indwelling sin, how do we do this? How do we do this, friends? Well, I've learned from experience and from scripture that the beginning of knowing how to pursue our husbands well to the glory of God is to know, first of all, that we can't do this on our own. In order to pursue the man that we stood before the altar with, with butterflies and promises for the glory of God and our own enjoyment, there is another pursuit that has to take precedence. We have to remember the pursuit of our Savior and be daily filled with grace from the one who created the institution of marriage in the first place. So if you're looking at the handout, the main idea we're gonna be breaking down this morning is this. Gospel pursuit of our husbands begins with God's pursuit of us. 
It's fueled by, God, for, by our pursuit of Christ and our hope in heaven and is supported by our commitment to community. And I realize that is not concise, but I have never been called concise in my life. <laughs> so we're gonna say that one more time. Gospel pursuit of our husbands begins with God's pursuit of us. It's fueled by our pursuit of Christ and our hope in heaven, and it's supported by our commitment to community. So we're gonna start with that first part. Gospel pursuit of our husbands begins with God's pursuit of us. If you have your Bibles, um, you can turn with me to 1 John. I really enjoyed being in this book this past month. We're going to start in chapter three, verses one to three. It says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And we're going to skip down to chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We don't have time to go into the whole of the book, but throughout these chapters in 1 John, we see a beautiful blueprint laid out for us for loving or pursuing one another. We see a picture of what the gospel is and what the gospel produces in our lives. And even though it might not actually say the word marriage or husbands, most of the, the passages we've been studying haven't, we find answers to our questions about marriage right here. In these verses, we hear a call to love and then we see where that love comes from. We can love or pursue the man that God's given us because we were known and loved and pursued by our creator God first. We were loved when we were unlovely, so we can love our husbands when they are less than lovely. In fact, we prove that we are his children by the way that we love one another, by the way that we love our spouse. But the beauty and mercy of our God is that he doesn't just stand over us and say, behold, look how I've loved you. Now, go and do likewise. Now he says, because I've loved you, I call you my children, which means I've given you the seal of my spirit. I've given you access to my power and my presence. I promise that I'm making you more and more into the image of my son. And if you abide in me, depending on the spirit that I've given to you, remembering the love that I've lavished on you, I will abide in you, enabling you to love in a way that reflects my love. To your brothers and sisters, to a dying world, to our husbands. The picture that John paints here is beautiful. But, <laughs> have you ever noticed how consistently the Lord calls his people to do things that they can't do on their own? And not only that, but also things that the world that's watching might not really understand. Moses. Come over here and speak to the very people you fled from in front of an intimidating and relationally complicated pharaoh using your simple staff to do miracles and tell them to let my people go. Even though you feel weak and unable in every way and you don't really have the gifts for the job. And better yet, part the Red Sea on your way out. Or hey, uh, Daniel, obey me in ways that are sure to have you arrested and then survive the blazing furnace that I will allow you to be thrown into. And hey, maybe let's add to that surviving a night in a hungry lion's den. Abraham, Follow me into a land that's not yours with your barren wife and become a great nation. Noah, build an ark. David, 
slay a giant. Woman, come and love a human man with tenderness and patience and perseverance and joy in the midst of your sin and his, submitting to him and seeking his good for the very rest of your life till death do us part. These things are not humanly easy, let alone possible. But our God, he knows our frame. He knows. And still he calls us to do the things that are outside of our power, but that are in every way within his power. To show that the all-surpassing power does not come from us. There's glory in walking into things that feel too big for us because it's right there that his power is displayed, and it's right there that he draws near to us. And not just for his glory, but for our ultimate joy. Over and over again, God calls his people to acts of obedience that require dependence, that require abiding in him. But somehow, and it happens all throughout scripture, as well as in our present reality, we convince ourselves that we got it, or at least that we should have it. We're not honest enough with ourselves with our, about our desperate need for the Spirit's help. We come up with all of our well-intentioned plans, and we walk out in our own strength, we try to put them into practice, and more often than not, we fall on our faces. Or we live in that pendulum swing of pride when we're doing well, and then shame or guilt when we're not, right? But God reminds us here in 1 John, that number one, the way we love reflects our understanding of God's love for us. And number two, in order to love, we have to abide in his love. It's the gospel of gospel pursuit. It's not just the godly word that we put on the front of every single thing we did this weekend. The good news of God's love for us is that it was given when he knew exactly what we were and who we were. In our sin and rebellion and weakness, he laid down his life for us, making a way not only to be right with God, but to be welcomed as children with all the access that children have. What he calls us to here in these scriptures is to slowly become what he's already said that we are. And he promises to give us what we need to do so. Which brings me to our second point. Gospel pursuit of our husbands is fueled by our pursuit of Christ. Whether we are newlyweds or we've been married for decades, gospel pursuit of our husbands is at its core discipleship. What scripture calls us to and promises to us as disciples of Christ is a beautiful recipe for marriage. You can look back with me to 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We're going to skip down a little bit. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, we're going to spend our whole lives slowly being sanctified till the day we see him face to face and we sin no more. But there's a pattern here. Do you see it? As we see him and hope in him and know him, put into practice the things that we're called to in Christ, which is love for our brother. And what closer brother do we have than our husbands? <laughs> we make a mistake when we make the focus the object of our love, because they're going to fail us. They are humans. Our husbands are human. But when the object of our hope is Christ, 
and the application of that hope is how we treat our husbands. It's a totally different thing. Now, I am gonna assume here that you have rough days in your marriage. And I know that there have been, or maybe there are right now, sweet, wonderful days when your husband does every single thing you love and it makes your pursuit just overflow. Days when he smells good and does good and is good. We all have days like that. But those days are not every day. And it's the days when what he wants is opposed to what you want, and when his sin is triggering your sin and the real stuff of life is happening, what does gospel pursuit look like then? I'll tell you what, God's word is not vague about what it looks like. If you want to follow along, there's a list of scriptures that I'm going to read out loud, starting with John 13, 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. As we see him, we go and do likewise. You notice the focus is not on the worthiness of the feet. Romans 12.10, be, devo- be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 15.14, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Were you lovely when Christ accepted you? Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. We love out of a freedom, not a bondage. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For our husbands? No, reverence for Christ. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, which we just heard this morning. 1 Peter 5.5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 5.16, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other. That makes such a difference in marriage. Galatians 5.15, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Haven't we seen that? Philippians 2, 3 through 5, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And if those aren't convicting enough, what about Ephesians 5.22? Submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, Just as Joel said yesterday, sometimes I think this passage, though, for us women can trigger us in all sorts of ways because, again, we, we focus on the submit part and not the as unto the Lord part. And now, our husband is not the Lord, and sometimes we have to be aware if he's ever asking us to go up against Scripture. But I feel like a good question coming out of all of these scriptures is, can we trust our Lord? Are we walking as his disciple? Are we looking to put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in us in order to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel because we remember what manner of love the Father has given unto us? Do we see opportunities in our day-to-day, in our marriage, to grow in godliness and holiness? Or do we just want to be right? (laughs) Do we just want to win? Do we just want him to change? Do we just want equality? Or do we want him to see all the work that we do around here? Sometimes that can be one for me. Can we entrust ourselves to the Lord while doing good?
are we looking to obey his word and apply it to those little moments in our marriages as disciples? Gospel pursuit of our husbands actually looks a lot like pursuit of Christ. And again, our husbands are not Christ, and sometimes they need us to speak strong truth into their lives out of love for their souls and love for Christ. And I'm not saying that we don't ever do that. I've done my share of that. But the way that we pursue Christ affects the way we pursue our husbands. For example, do you ever notice how our sex lives can sometimes reflect how our marriages are doing? Not always, there are physical extenuating circumstances, but like when things are fun and free and engaging in the bedroom, it's rarely coming out of a grumpy, selfish, distant relationship, right? God designed our marriages so that the fruit of oneness in our relating is usually needed for the best oneness of our bodies. Not always, but usually. And oftentimes what seems like an intimacy problem is actually a relationship communication problem. In the same way, a unified, joyful, vibrant marriage that lasts doesn't usually stem from self-reliance, selfishness, and godlessness. What can seem like a marriage problem is oftentimes a discipleship problem. Or better yet, it's a discipleship opportunity. Our marriages are often a catalyst for showing us our need, aren't they? (laughs) They show us our need for Jesus, our need for abiding in him. And not just a I need Jesus to love this man. Let me tell you all about it. More of an invitation from our Savior to walk with him, to abide with him, and to be transformed by his deep and all-knowing love. In our marital conflicts in the day-to-day, he's calling us to himself. He's calling us to something that's bigger than us and that needs his daily grace, and he's giving us something that's tangible in our lives that will keep us close to himself. He's calling us to keep our eyes on the goal of our marriage, which brings us to our third point. Gospel pursuit of our husbands is also fueled by our hope of heaven. Our husband is our lover, our partner, and our friend, but if he's a believer in Christ, he's also our brother, which means someday in heaven, when marriage is done away with, and we're standing before our Lord and Savior, we will have walked out this life on earth with the potential to be the closest, most influential, and helpful person to our man's growth in Christ. A favorite quote of mine, which is from my favorite book on marriage, Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, I highly recommend, says this, within this Christian vision of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It's to look at another person and to get a glimpse of what God is creating and to say, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I wanna be a part of that. I wanna partner with you and God in the journey that you're taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence, and I will say, I always knew you could be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. As 1 John says, we are not yet what we should be, and neither is our husband, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Keller says later, what is marriage for? It's a way for two spiritual friends to help each other on their journey to become the persons that God designed them to be. Isn't this beautiful? It gets me every time, (laughs) every single time. In marriage, we have the privilege and the calling of walking with the most up-close, realistic view of a very specific man. And we can either see it as an opportunity 
to point out all the ways that person does not yet appear to be like him. Or we can choose to be excited about the promise of God to make them into his image and lean in to lovingly participating in that process. We can either seek to seek our own way behind closed doors and we can come out unchanged or we can lean in to the moments when we get to obey and apply scripture and become changed more and more and more into the likeness of Christ in the process. I heard once that marriage is not for your happiness, it's for your holiness. Honestly, I didn't like it very much. (laughs) I was a few years into marriage and I was really happy. And I thought that sentence was jaded and it was not taking into account all the grace and joy that God gives through his good gifts. And I might have even argued that point with some much more experienced married friends, much to my shame. But I've come to realize that the wrong in that statement is not the, it's more in the juxtaposition of happiness and holiness. Like it's an either or statement. But really, if we understand scripture correctly, and believe that God's ways are good in the very deepest sense of the word, then we see that pursuing Christ and walking as his disciple, growing in holiness, is actually for our happiness. In other words, do you want to be happy in marriage? Pursue holiness. Submit yourself to the Lord, and don't shy away from the sandpaper moments that reveal your sin and give opportunities to die to yourself. Keller, one more time, because I love it so much, says this, The Bible says that human beings were made in God's image. That means, among other things, that we were created to worship and live for God's glory and not our own. We were made to serve God and others. That means, paradoxically, that if we try to put our own happiness ahead of obedience to God, we violate our own nature and become ultimately miserable. Jesus restates the principle when he says this, whoever wants to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He is saying, if you seek happiness more than you seek me, you will have neither. But if you seek to serve me more than serve happiness, you will have both. Are we pursuing this kind of holy happiness in our marriages in the day to day? Joel and I have a song that we like called Love is the Tuesdays. Uh, The beginning speaks of a young guy going to Virginia to ask the father's blessing to marry his daughter. I'm from Virginia. It's very sentimental. But he gets advice from the father that love isn't just the highs and lows. Love is the Tuesdays. And it goes on to describe all the mundane moments of life and how that's where real love is found. In the same way, gospel pursuit isn't just something you need when sin is rearing its ugly head or when you're feeling your godliest ambitions. Gospel pursuit with this kind of heavenly glory in mind is for the Tuesdays. It's important not to wait for the hard moments to start pursuing another, one another with the gospel love. It's important to have a good working understanding of human nature that says, if we're not growing, we're shrinking. If we're not pursuing the goal, we're drifting. So what's the goal again? It's not just peace between you or getting what you want out of the relationship or bringing out the best in each other or supporting each other's dreams, even though that can be good. It's bringing glory to God by loving our husbands and walking as a disciple of Christ with our hope firmly placed in him. I think this is really needed in our day because the world is gonna give us a moving target when it comes to what the purpose of marriage is. And at times it's even gonna say, there is no point. If it makes you happy, go for it. If this doesn't, walk away. But God's word tells us a different story. 
it tells us that we were meant to pursue our husbands differently than the world. As 1 John says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. It tells us that we were loved and called God's beloved children all because of grace, that we were, that we were justified and bought with a price, with the promise that he will complete the work that he begins in us that we will be sanctified and someday glorified and that marriage is one of the means that God is gonna use to do that good work. We're not meant to stay the same. We're not made to settle for peace and acceptance of who we are. We're made for glory, for holiness, forgiveness, communication, toppling of the idols of our hearts so that Jesus Christ will reign as king of our hearts. And in marriage, we get to walk that out with a partner by our side a partner who will help us to that end. Sometimes through encouragement, and sometimes because they rub against the very area the Lord's trying to work on. <laughs> so are we waking up on a Tuesday with the ultimate heavenly goal of our marriage in mind? It's gonna look different for each of us. And that's part of why this message isn't a list of ways to pursue our husbands. That sense of burden, like here's all the ways to do it. Our husbands are all different but we have a God who knows the details. So are we praying about it? Are we being sensitive to the Spirit and seeking where we can be conformed to the image of Christ? Are we asking for forgiveness and showing grace? And are we inviting the community that God's called us to into our marriages? Because our final point is gonna remind us of the need for just that. Gospel pursuit of our husbands is supported by our commitment to community. It's been alluded to this weekend, and I'm really grateful for it. <coughs> but we need each other, friends. <laughs> we do. I need you. I don't know about you, but I don't see myself correctly all the time. I have blind spots, and way too often my view is full of my own preferences and colored by my baggage, and it affects my marriage. It's scary how easily we can become deceived by sin, isn't it? how fast pride can build up walls between us and our husbands. We need each other to see clearly, and it's one of the gifts that God's given to us in the church. We need accountability and spaces that cultivate humility in our marriages. And not only that, but as Christians, I think it's really important that we remember that we have an adversary that doesn't just mildly dislike our marriages. He hates your marriage. Your marriage represents a picture of the beautiful one. It represents the image and the power of God on display in this world. Your vows were made before God, and Satan would love nothing more than to discredit them and the God who has loved himself by making your marriage loveless, powerless, defeated, and at best nominal and ineffective. It's not just our own personal enjoyment that's at stake here. There's so much more at stake. So if all this is the case, then shouldn't we be using every means of grace to support our marriages? Uh, we're going to go back to 1 John. If you want to read with me 1 John chapter 1 this time, verses 5 to 10. It says this, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sin grows best in dark, hidden places. It just does. 
is there something about your marriage that you just keep hidden? <laughs> something that embarrasses you? Some pattern of sin that you wish wasn't there, but it is? Or some recurrent conflict or hurt that you just can't ever see eye to eye on and it just keeps coming up? My gentle encouragement this morning is to come, to walk in the light with a dear sister or a friend, even here, while we're together. Not only is he faithful and just to forgive us, but if we say we have no sin, we're making him out to be a liar. He already knows we're sinners. We all know we're sinners, right? We sing about it on Sundays. If we say that and we affirm it, then don't we know we need the Lord's help? Don't we know we need each other's help? We do. And I'm not just saying to bring the big, I don't know how we're gonna get through this moments to each other, which those are important. Bring those to each other. But it's also this little text during the week where you're saying, hey, I'm needing to die to my selfishness in this very specific thing right now, and it's hard. Will you pray for me? Or I'm not feeling love right now. I am angry. <laughs> Will you pray that I would see my husband with charitable eyes? Or I need prayer and reminders of what it even looks like to be obedient to Christ right now and come with an open heart to receive help from your friend. Or the... I'm trying to pursue my husband in my own strength, and I feel it. I'm exhausted. Will you pray that I would abide? Would you pray that I'd be in the word? Would you help me keep accountable to be in the word? Um, or those, hear the little lies I think I'm believing. What little lies do you think I'm believing? And have that conversation. Or better yet, just being a friend who notices and a community that develops this freedom to speak to these things in love. Um, we have some fantastic Jamaican friends that we meet with once a year at a leadership conference in Florida. And they're some of our favorite people to do a meal with because of the friendship that's there, but also because they don't pull any punches when it comes to this kind of fellowship. This past year, we were mentioning just how hard of a year it had been for Joel and I. And within the first five minutes of the conversation, the husband just said, hey, I know we have stressful seasons. And when we have stressful seasons like that, one of the ways it causes damage in our marriage is that our sex life suffers. How's your sex life these days? How are you doing at cultivating oneness in the midst of these stressors? And I just was like, oh my gosh, I love you guys so much. Because they just went for it. They were not afraid of overstepping a boundary or making it weird. They were showing us that they were in our corner and they wanted to care for us. And not just with that pat pat, oh that sounds hard, I'm sorry. And I was glad to report that actually Joel and I were doing pretty awesome in that department, but that we'd actually done some really hard work in previous years to fight for unity in the midst of stress. And it was bearing fruit in the midst of the stress of this present year. And then we went on and we started talking about some of the ways we'd fought for that and what it looked like and we just got into the real stuff. That's the kind of community that supports our marriages collectively. I can think of a dozen instances off the top of my head where Joel and I were stuck we were only seeing things our own way, and we invited in community. We invited in trusted friends to help us to see more clearly, and we were helped by their input. I remember sitting in our living room with an older couple, actually the petites, who are not old, by the way, just older than us. Thank you very much. <laughs> Opening up about a certain conflict that Joel and I were just could not get clarity on, and we basically had the conflict in front of them. There were tears on my part, because that's apparently just how I do conflict, is I cry. And there were good questions on their part, and we got help, and we got clarity. I remember sitting on the back of the boat with Jason, bringing a situation that Joel and I both knew that we saw differently, and we needed wisdom and accountability, and so we set up a plan for follow-up and care with him. 
I remember Marco Poling with a friend and opening up about a certain way I was feeling about a certain situation in my marriage, and I was pretty sure that I wasn't seeing clearly, but I just asked for input and asked for prayer, and I got some soft, intentional questions that helped me to see more clearly, and they helped me to love my husband better. In all of these examples, I wasn't backed against a wall in a dire situation, but I'm a human sinner, and I needed help. I need it on the daily, and I need the means of grace that God's given to us in community. And our marriage is stronger and better, not just because the community around us had all the answers, because sometimes we don't, but because by asking for help, we walked into the humility that God promises to give grace to, and he's given that grace to us. I realize that this can feel risky. <laughs> I get it. People are human, and they might fail us. We might be shown to be wrong. That's scary. Marriage is one of the best gifts that God's given to us, but sometimes it can also be hard, and it can reveal the deepest levels of our need for the gospel. There's no hiding in marriage, as already been said this weekend. What we are is plain to see for the person right next to us and vice versa. But just as our guest speaker reminded us last month, risk for the sake of Christ is right. Risking for the sake of honoring the Lord and becoming a community that supports one another's marriages is right. To end, I, um, I once saw a video of a therapist that was talking about one of his pet peeves. He was sharing about how much he hated when videos or pictures of old couples who were sitting on a bench together, having a sweet dinner, holding hands, obviously still in love, were met with, aw, how cute, hashtag couple goals. Or, if my husband doesn't love me that way when I'm 75, I don't want him. He went on to say how much he hated those things because those sweet, wrinkled, loving couples weren't cute. They were warriors. He said no couple gets to that place in life with that much depth of love and relationship without having done real battle. They fought to be in that place of caring and love, so for heaven's sake, let's stop diminishing them by calling them cute. And I love that. He was a secular therapist. He didn't add in the trophy of God's grace that they were or how they'd fought for their relationship by battling their own sin. But adding in all the things we talked about this morning, I agree with him. And my prayer this morning is that we would strip away all the Hallmark cuteness and arm ourselves with the armor of God together <laughs> to be warriors for our marriages. That we would be women who walk as disciples, remembering that we really can love the man that he's given to us well and with joy for the long haul, all because he loved us first.